This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. One of the biggest threats companies deal with is competitors that offer cheaper versions of a product. This can happen despite intellectual property laws, patent filings, and market dominance. A new book looks at how companies can survive the struggle with copycats and thrive through new discoveries and technologies. The book is Leap, How to Thrive in a World Where Everything Can Be Copied. And we're joined by the author, Howard Yu, who is a professor of management and innovation at the IMD Business School in Switzerland. Great to have you with us today, Howard. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Great to be here. Thank you. I mean, this concern for businesses, it's one that seems like it has been there for quite a long period of time, but maybe it is is ramped up even more because of how technology plays into a lot of these avenues? That's right. I mean, one of the biggest complaints that I've heard from executives in my education program is that they find any type of innovation they put out in the marketplace, it gets easily copied overnight. So the quicker they introduce new product features, the quicker they introduce new services, while they're seeing their cost structure continue to ramp up, those lifespan of the new product easily get copied. And as a result, the ability to capture value and revenue continue to decrease. And this is really the main thrust that I write this book and explore these issues. So in some cases, being the first to do something isn't always going to be successful because you have those, uh, those other companies that may follow you and be able to do it for a cheaper level and, and gain that a, a level of success as well. That's exactly right. Oftentimes what executives thought is there's always this so-called first mover advantage, meaning you move into a market and you secure dominant position. But what I, my research have revealed is oftentimes that's not the case, particularly when the underlying knowledge is kind of commonplace and people can learn from you, then in fact there is almost this latecomer advantage that the copycat can produce something similar or good enough, and with a much, much lower price point. As a result, they surpass the uh, earlier incumbent or pioneering companies. Give a, If you can, give us an example of that. I mean, are there companies out there that you've seen and you mentioned in the book that really kind of follow that pattern and, and have been able to, to gain great success even though they have seen others try to copy them? Well, so the... The, the most of the paradigm, what we see is there is almost this tendency of incumbent being disrupted by copycat. So if you're looking at uh, any kind of industry, from personal computer to mobile phone to wind turbine to solar panel, oftentimes it's the latecomer, particularly from Asia, dominate those markets. Now, having said that, there are industries that I also have been observing Despite the risk of being copied, the early incumbent continue to prosper and survive and making a lot of money over a long period of time. So one example is very close to where I teach in Switzerland is the pharmaceutical industry. Right. And in the pharmaceutical industry in Basel, the city of Basel, east part of Switzerland, these guys have been along, settled along the River Rhine for hundreds of years. And yet Novartis, Roche, these big pharmaceutical firms, they continue to command a leading position in the worldwide basis. And so I thought, let's look deeper into it and let's extract some of the key lessons learned. Perhaps we could apply to other industry settings as well. 
We're talking with uh, Howard Yu, who is uh, the author of the book Leap, How to Thrive in a World Where Everything Can Be Copied. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. I guess it's an expectation these days for almost any company out there that you should be prepared for some sort of copycat to try and and, and do what you do at, at a better level. That's exactly right. This is why the understanding of, at least in the past history, how do some of these early pioneers continue to prosper, not just the next quarter, but over centuries, to command a leading position on the worldwide market is particularly important in informing what today's executive must do. So we kind of discuss a little bit about the pharmaceutical industry. The fundamental logic is this pharma firm, historically, they've been leaping from one knowledge discipline to the next and then to the next. And when they do that, they fundamentally reinvent the approach of drug discovery. This is why the copycat from Japan all the way to China these days find it quite hard to learn about the capability of discovering drugs. Now. Copying a drug molecule is easy. Once it's gone off pattern, it becomes generic drugs. But learning and copying the capability of drug discovery turns out to be very, very difficult. Right. You talk in the book that there are some some core principles that companies really could rely on in order to be successful in these situations. That's right. Um, so there are around five principles that I try to explore in the book. First is for business leader to be effective, one thing is they have to understand what kind of world they're living in. In many ways, they have to do a very honest assessment in terms of the maturity of the fundamental knowledge that build the enterprise. For example, if your company is making heavy machinery, let's look at the fundamental knowledge around mechanical engineering, how mature it is. The more mature that knowledge, the more easy or more widely disseminated across the field, the more riskier you become. The second principle is let's look forward. Let's not just looking in the past, but looking forward. What are some of the seismic shifts happening around the landscape so that you as a company can leverage those seismic shifts to reinvent yourself? This is why today when people are talking about data analytics is key, mm-hmm. people are talking about artificial intelligence is key, and also the creativity of human being is absolutely critical for reinvention over the long haul. 844-942-7866 is the number if you would like to join in with your comments or questions. We're talking with Howard Yu, author of the book Leap. So you also mentioned that there there is a historical element to this, uh, to this, to this push, to this leap, uh, going back a couple of centuries, correct? Yeah, yeah. I'm sort of a history bluff, so I kind of like to look at industrial history as well. So beyond just pharmaceutical companies, sometimes my uh, audience would ask, this is great, but what if my industry is sort of mundane, low-tech? Does that mean that I would always get copied? And which is why in part of the book, I kind of explore in the categories as laundry detergent and disposable diaper and consumer goods, as mundane as that. You're looking at Procter & Gamble, right? It started off from Cincinnati over 150 years. Now, a personal computer, green tech, all this high-tech sector are getting disrupted by the Chinese. P&G, by conventional logic, have no chance 
And yet, if you look across their global footprint, they are still continue to commanding a leading position on this category. So it's not so much around the environment that executives need to accept as given, but there are ways that you could tap into new knowledge discipline mm-hmm. and reinvent yourself. Um, the key is how do you balance the short-term goal as well as the long-term reinvention. Does the sector differ how how the uh, how the approach should be taken? Like obviously, Procter and Gamble is you know is obviously one example, but you mentioned the pharma industry is another. Yep. Um, so it is um, the specific way of tackling one's industry. Um, there is certain sectorial or industry specifics. But right now, as we speak, there are certain elements that regardless of sector you're in, you have to think about. For example, the rise of smart machine, right? right. Um, you know, artificial intelligence truly is the steam engine for the second half of the 21st century. Whether right. you are making a tractor for farmers, uh, you know, harvesting, you've got to tell the farmers how to embrace precision farming as right. a way to increase farm yield. Whether you are providing legal services, you've got to think about how to automate the narrowly defined knowledge of lawyers so that you get your cost correct. If you're a logistic organization, nobody's caring about how big is your ship, but getting things from point A to point B. So across all sectors I have investigated, there are uniform seismic shift that regardless of who you are, you simply have to embrace. And this is great because you can then draw on inspiration from other sector to inform your strategic choice going forward. 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. One of the other examples you bring out, uh, and since my daughter is a piano player, I'll bring it up, is an interesting uh, kind of war that, that occurred a long time ago between Steinway and Yamaha. Right. Um, you know, that is an interesting story because precisely because executive managers, sometimes they would uh, push back my, my, my argument is that, you know, I don't care about copycats. As long as I can provide the best product in the world, right. I would be all right. right. And so I kind of explore Stanway and Sons. I mean, they make the best concert cranial, uh, you know, no doubt. And yet, if we looking at the historical financial return of the company is a disaster. The company went listed and gone private again, gone listed again, and forced to go private again. At the peak of 6,000 piano they sell per year, down to 2,000. They own the Stanway Village historically in Astoria, outside of Manhattan, and today they reduce to only one single factory. They still make the best piano. Workers are passionate, and yet they were disrupted by Japanese Yamaha. And know yeah. that this story is there is no change of technology. It's not like, you know, digital photography and destroy Kodak. I mean, a piano is still a piano. It's a hammer striking a string. But if the knowledge is getting stagnated, no matter how good you are, the latecomer can come in, leverage on scale of the economy, automation, lower cost structure, disassembling your product and reverse engineering. Mm-hmm. And then they could, in, in, in over time, they would surpass the, uh, the industry pioneer. So I thought it's a cautionary tale. Never getting trapped or try to avoid getting trapped in a golden cage. How do you think uh, artificial intelligence is going to change this, this path of needing to leap for some companies? Yeah, I mean, right now what we see in AI in terms of uh, artificial intelligence is still quite nascent. So most of the... Uh, 
most of the focus is, is really on reduction of cost, either, you know, automate certain human job or, 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 or one person can do more jobs as a result as guided by AI. I think this is still early phase. Going forward, what AI would mean probably is to augment human decision making. Now that your staff member no longer need to make the mundane decision, logistics supply, coordination, email, and, and you know, all the scheduling, then you could free up your staff member with uh, task them to do something much more creative. Things that re- uh, involve human empathy, human judgment, relationship uh, building, networking, coaching, things that machine are still not very good at, but human have a commanding advantage. Those should be the area where human manager should really focus a point. So automate as much as possible the mundane task and then redeploy your human resources to take your innovation to take your customer relationship to the next level how do you how do you take this philosophy in the world of social media because i mean you have so many entities that are out there both here in the united states and overseas as well and they're all basically trying to do the same thing Right. Um, I think this is really key. And, and, and one of the key discoveries for me right now is, you know, yes, on the, on the older consumer space, such as Google and Facebook and Twitter, you always have just one company dominate that sector and that's it. But what we've seen is from the example like Uber, they were forced to exit from China mm-hmm. and from Southeast Asia by Grab and in the Middle East, Kareem. And what we found is, you know, as the internet continues to evolve, it's no longer just the provision of digital information and digital entertainment. A lot of the new business model emerging right now is really the blending between digital content and the physical delivery. So here's the good news. Whenever a new business model requires some sort of, you know, uh, that physical delivery, the understanding of the local market from culture to regulation to infrastructure becomes more and more important. So you can no longer just build an app from Silicon Valley and roll out across the globe. In fact, local player or historic industry incumbent would have an exceeding amount of competitive advantage because you know how your customer behave in your local market. If you can blend in some Silicon Valley agility, then that you become unstoppable. You also talk about WeChat uh, in the book, and, and that obviously is an interesting company when you think about social media these days, uh, because it, it is it is driving a lot of of contact uh, via China. And we think a lot of times with social media of Facebook and Twitter and Instagram here in the United States, we don't necessarily think about WeChat a lot. No, you're quite right. I mean, uh, this is the big, biggest paradox because Tencent, the parent company which own WeChat, is the fifth most valuable company on the face of the planet. Uh, we simply don't pay enough attention. But the way WeChat really built itself, um, you know, in China, the Internet is pretty close off. There's a great firewall, and so there's no Google, Facebook, YouTube. But in this space, you have this copycat in the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so WeChat really started off as a copycat, as WhatsApp. But fairly rapidly, um, it evolved into a monster app that you couldn't really survive in China without WeChat. Um, you could 
spend a day in Shenzhen, in southern part of China, without credit card, without cash, just with your mobile phone, because you can call your Uber, which is called Didi China, through WeChat. You can check your banking account through yeah. WeChat. You can order your instant noodle next door in a noodle store, mom and pop store, and pay by WeChat. I was walking in San, uh, Shanghai, and in People's Park, there were homeless people asking for money and so on. Instead of asking for cash, they're holding up a VR code and ask me to scan a Q, uh, QR code to pay digitally. So in China, the bag has gone digital. So it is in this like quirky space that we see WeChat is able to pioneer an alternative business model. Not so much on advertisement per se that we are so familiar in Facebook and Instagram and so on. What they do is providing real services and charge for fee, much more akin to a subscription model or transaction model, which build consumer trust. The QR code, huh? That's, mm-hmm. that's what some people are using these days. That's right. It's a very interesting barcode, which looks like a square. Yeah. It's two-dimensional, which allows to capture much more information than a conventional barcode. How do you think then, I mean, obviously, the, the, as you alluded to, the advent of AI is going to play a role in this. But how, how do you think this is going to change companies specifically, like the structure of the company? Because you're going to have to have, I mean, obviously, many companies do right now. You have to have this greater focus on, on being able to be adaptive. But how do you think right. it's going to change the structure of companies moving forward, even in the midst of this, this change that's going on? Yeah, I think executive really needs to accept the fact that organizational structure is no longer static. It's going to be much, much more fluid. That the deployment of human resources is going to be much more task force driven. That uh, whenever there's a need or a real complex problem arise, then you pull together together and solve that problem and then disband again. Um, so I was in uh, Hongzhou, the home of Alibaba. Under Alibaba, there's Ant Financial, the finance subsidiary, which, by the way, uh, worth more than Goldman Sachs today. And the executive told me, with this runaway success of Ant Financial with revenue doubling every five years, they do not need to hire any additional personnel simply because they constantly automate what they know and redeploy their staff to new role. Mm-hmm. And this is a startup setup, right? And to me, it's sort of an eye-opener to me that employees and employers alike, they need to treat job as no longer destination, but simply a temporary task that people would congeal together and solve an issue and then move on to the next phase. It's almost like a modular organization, if you will. How do you think the fact that we are in this in this kind of big data world also impacts us as well? Yeah, I mean, um, how do you know everything? So much, so much data is generated every day, right? Yep. The amount of data simply explodes, and and I think the, the the critical the criticality of AI is allowing us to make sense of the data. Data is not going to be useful until human can actually make sense. Unfortunately, with that amount of data, no one is going to be able to understand except with the help of machine. And so this is why you see things from IBM Watson to Google Duplex is really building system that can understand unstructured data. 
I used to work in a bank, and I remember every time we do system migration, I need to massage the data, make sure the data is integrate, and so on. And now that is such a bygone era. What we're seeing now is you pull all the data into data lake, and with AI, then the machine can begins to make sense of the broad screen, a uh, broad uh, trend of things among those a tremendous amount of data. I think uh, mm-hmm. even for IT, we need to come to grip of a very different approach going forward. 844-942-7866 is the number if you would like to join in. The book is Leap, How to Thrive in a World Where Everything Can Be Copied. Howard you, the author of the book, is our guest. Again, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter, at BizRadio132, or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. I would imagine, I mean, you talk a lot about in this book about this in the scope of the of the big business, but I would imagine that, that a lot of these principles would also play for the entrepreneur, for the smaller business as well. Absolutely, because um, you know the the area from AI to ubiquitous connectivity, small company can really leverage on this seismic shift so long that you pay attention what's going on. For example, we talk a little bit about WeChat and so on. One of the major services that they provide for small, medium-sized company is to have their own digital strategy. So imagine you're a bakery, right? You you make a Chinese mooncake, and you have no experience in doing programming. So what WeChat have done is to enable this small-time entrepreneur to build a digital app without knowing programming. So I've seen the interface almost. You drag and drop different boxes and type in text overnight. You can launch your own app within WeChat. Now, some people are early adopters. Some companies stay with their family tradition. So just like many things across all sectors, these emerging technologies, it really depending on how active you are paying attention to the changing scheme. And then you can leverage these technologies in order to gain a competitive advantage. So I think a lot of these principles, as much as are applicable to large firms in terms of transformation, for small and medium-sized companies, even more important. Yeah. Only by doing so, then you can tap into a huge market. And it sounds like it can be, in certain cases, the difference between success and failure for the small business as well. That's, that's, that's exactly correct, because, you know, with we are truly living in an accelerated world because yeah. technology adoption is so much quicker than in the past. Um, and, and by leveraging what is new and latest out there and plucking into that ecosystem that really allow a much smaller player, like based in Switzerland, I've seen one, that are able to tap into a huge seismic market outside in China. And those who can do it quick and fast, of course, they build customer relationship, they gain competitive advantage versus others who continue to be operating in a conservative ways. Howard, great having you today on the show. Thank you very much for your time. Uh, all the book, uh, all the best with the book in the future. My great pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Thank you. Howard Yu. Uh, the book, again, is Leap, How to Thrive in a World Where Everything Can Be Copied. Uh, the book is available in bookstores and online right now. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. 